Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. This morning, uh, as Ryan said, we're going to start a new series, uh, and it's called Encounters with Jesus. And our hope is to do exactly what the title said this summer uh, as we gather every Sunday. We want to encounter Jesus and nothing less. We want the Lord Jesus himself, uh, the Son of God, uh, who was God-made flesh, the God who dwelt among us, to minister to us. And we're going to look at different episodes in the life of Jesus over the next 10 weeks or so, and really watch and listen as he encounters different people, different individuals. And my hope is as we encounter Jesus uh, through these encounters, he will minister to us uh, as well this summer. And so I pray that he does that in a fresh and powerful way. So I want to invite you, if you want to grab a Bible, you can get one from the seat back near you. Uh, turn to page 861. That's Luke chapter 5 on page 861. Or if you want to open your Bible or your Bible app, uh, we're going to be camped out there in the account that I just read. So uh, just to set things up a little bit, uh, Jesus has been traveling around, he's been ministering, he's been doing healing ministry, uh, he's been teaching some, and we kind of pick up with the story of Jesus. He's kind of getting the ball rolling, it's still early in his ministry, uh, but we find him here in the town of Capernaum, and he's at somebody's house. He's just at a neighbor or a friend's house, and uh, what we're told is the place is packed. It is full of people. So whatever impressions you have of Jesus... Jesus was not boring. <laughs> Jesus drew crowds. People wanted to be near him. There was something about him that drew people to him. Uh, what's interesting is we're told what kinds of people were there. Uh, and so you can imagine people from the town, neighbors, friends, uh, maybe some family. But also, verse 17 specifically tells us that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law that were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and even from Jerusalem. Now, Capernaum to Jerusalem is about 80 miles. So that just gives you a little bit of, uh, of context for what's happening here. Jesus is drawing people from all over at this point. Word has gotten out. Community leaders, national leaders, uh, religious leaders are all coming, even from the capital in Jerusalem, and they're now sitting in this relatively small house, I would imagine, that's packed full of people just to be near to Jesus, to listen to what he has to say. And so the word is spread, the word has gone out, and people want to be near Jesus. Why is Jesus getting all this attention? Well, in part, it is because of his teaching. He's a rabbi, and so he's been traveling around. We're, we're told that he's calling disciples here in this part of Luke. There's people that are following him. And, uh, and so he's teaching. But we're also told something very important right from the start of this account. Jesus is not just another rabbi. He's no ordinary rabbi. Look what it says at the end of verse 17. It says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of God was with him to heal. And so it was his teaching and it was these signs of healing that were drawing people. Word had spread. And we're told that there's four men who had heard about this Jesus. We don't know how, but we know that they knew that this was a Jesus 
who could heal. And so they had a friend. They had a friend who needed healing. Maybe you know someone in your life right now who needs healing. A friend that you would love to get better. And so that was their heart. They had a friend, a a person in their life they knew and they loved and they wanted him to get healed. And so look at verse 18. It says, behold, some men were bringing a man on a bed who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Again, they're bringing their friend to Jesus. That's their goal, to get their paralyzed friend and to lay him before Jesus. They are so convinced that if they could just do that, if they can just lay their friend before Jesus, Jesus would take care of it from there. It doesn't seem like they have a plan beyond that. It's just get this man in front of Jesus and he'll be healed. Somehow for these four men, they knew that Jesus could heal. Maybe they'd heard about it, like we said, maybe they'd seen it. They'd seen Jesus heal. Or perhaps one of them or all of them had been healed themselves by this Jesus. Whatever they knew, they knew it deeply enough to be committed to getting their friend in front of Jesus. Their friend who couldn't walk. Their friend who was paralyzed and living on a mat. In Jesus' day, a person with a disability like this uh, would have been absolutely left out from life would have been marginalized, would have been looked down upon even, even uh, sometimes considered to have been cursed by God because of their condition. And so maybe if we pause and we think about this man's life, just based on what we know, we might imagine what this man thinks or believes about himself, that God has abandoned him perhaps, or that God's just forgotten him, or even that he deserves his condition because of something he had done wrong, because of his sin. But there were four men in his life who were convinced that God wanted to heal him. Four friends convinced that if they could just get him in front of Jesus, God would do that. Just get him in front of Jesus. That is their goal. But with that simple goal, they encounter obstacles. When they got to the house that day, they couldn't get to Jesus. What were the obstacles? Well, first, there was the crowd. The house was packed. They couldn't get in through the door. Uh, It was full of other people who were seeking Jesus. They came to hear what Jesus had uh, to say. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. And so they had come for Jesus, too. What's interesting to me about the way this story unfolds is that um, these guys uh, show up carrying a guy who can't walk. There's four of them, and, and they're carrying this guy. Hard to miss. Right? They, they kind of probably made a little bit of a stir in the back as they're trying to work their way into the crowd. And the crowd, what happens with the crowd? No one moves. No one makes way for these guys. The crowd is literally unwilling to accommodate for someone who clearly needs Jesus. I mean, I think there's lots of reasons for that. But it does stand out to me that perhaps... They were so focused on what Jesus could do for them while they were there that they weren't able to consider the needs of anybody else around them. I can relate to that. Sometimes we can be so desperate in our circumstances that we we miss the needs around us. 
And so this crowd is kind of gathered around, and they're an obstacle to these guys getting to Jesus. And that's what makes these four guys so amazing to me. Uh, They've come that day not for themselves, but for their friend. And so they are there, and they are undeterred. And what do they do in their commitment, in their passion for this guy to get in front of Jesus? They get creative. I love it. They get super creative. They find stairs. They make their way up to the roof, and they carry their friend to a spot on the roof, and they just guess. I think this might be where Jesus is, down under this roof. And they just start digging into this clay and stubble roof that would have been over Jesus' head. And so you imagine the scene below. Jesus is mid-sentence. All of a sudden, stuff starts floating down from the ceiling. Then big clumps of stuff fall down from the ceiling. People back up, get out of the way. It's chaos. It's dirty. It's dusty. What is going on? And what happens is they lower their friend, and he lands where? Right in front of Jesus. Right in front of Jesus, mission accomplished, obstacles overcome. They got him where they wanted him, to lay in front of Jesus himself. Sadly, there was one more obstacle in the room. On one side of of the scene is Jesus. So Jesus is there, and then there's this man laying on the ground. But on the other side, gathered around Jesus, we're told there's a group of people And that group of people are the Pharisees and the scribes. And they look at this scene, and they're upset. And they're going to get more upset, we're told, because of what Jesus does here. They themselves become an obstacle to what Jesus wants to do. You see, Jesus, he does something very, very offensive to them. Jesus, rather than offering this man physical healing, first he does something radical. Jesus has the power to heal, but not just on the outside. He has the power to heal the whole man. He has the power to heal the whole person inside and out. And so what does Jesus do? He offers this man spiritual healing before he ever offers him physical healing. He offers him the deepest healing he could possibly receive. Look at what it says in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, the faith of the four friends, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Some translations have it, friend, your sins are forgiven. It's because Jesus here with a single word of forgiveness is affirming this man is nothing less than a man, a whole man, a human being made in the image of God. He is a child of God, man, friend of God. Your sins are forgiven. That word alone is a word of healing, of acceptance, of love for a man who surely questioned if God ever saw him and ever loved him. And so Jesus, having pronounced this word of healing, of forgiveness over this man's life, he looks up and he sees these faces around him of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he knows what they're thinking. They're thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, because he's Jesus, he knows what they're thinking. 
He can read it all over their face. He knows what's in their hearts. And he says, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are religious experts. They knew that God alone could forgive someone of their sin. After all, sin is the rejection of God. It's rebellion against God. And so only God can actually forgive sin. And so the thing about what they're, what they're upset about is it's actually true. The, the reality is that they're right. God alone can forgive sins. And that's Jesus' exact point. Jesus was making it very clear that he wasn't just a great teacher of God's way. He wasn't just a powerful healer in God's name. He was the one with the authority to forgive sins. He was God himself. God in that little house with a torn off roof and a man laying before him who was paralyzed. And the religious leaders couldn't accept that. They couldn't believe that. But Jesus was not going to allow their lack of faith to prevent him from demonstrating God's love in that room. And so he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he turns away from the scribes and the Pharisees and he turns to this man and he looks at this man and he says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately it says, he stood up in front of them. Look, look at what God has done. It was in their face, undeniable. And he took his mat and he went home And how did he go home? Praising God. It says some of the people in the crowd looked at this and they said, we've seen some remarkable things today. (laughs) Slight understatement, right? Amazing, remarkable. This man who was paralyzed, who had to be brought in by four other men, carried his own mat out, walking and praising God. He stood up and he left the room, praising the Lord. You think the crowds made a path for him then? I bet people's mouths were hanging on the floor and it was like the Red Sea parting when that guy walked out of the room. They were filled with awe because they had seen something remarkable. They'd seen the love of God demonstrated through forgiveness and healing. So as we just reflect on what happened that day, because this isn't just a, a story. This is history. This is what God did that day for that man. And so as we reflect on this incredible encounter with Jesus, I, I just want to maybe throw three questions out to us to, to think about and pray through this week, and maybe even for this summer. And if you want to jot these down or make a note on your phone, I want to encourage you to, to, to take a note of these three questions and maybe ask them and, and pray through them and talk about them at home with friends or your spouse or with your kids? So three questions. The first question is this, just as I think about what happened this day, uh, are we so amazed by Jesus that we get excited about the chance to take others to him? Are we so amazed and excited about who Jesus is that we are excited about the chance to introduce others to him? These four men were so amazed by Jesus, they had to get their friend there. They absolutely had. To them, Jesus was an amazing teacher, but not just a teacher. He was a powerful healer. And as they learned 
way more than that. Jesus had the power and the authority to forgive sins. Only the God who created you and loves you can heal you inside and out. Only the God who created you and loves you has the power to forgive you. You may not think that God has ever done anything remarkable in your life. You may think, I have just a normal, boring, you know, kind of crisis-free life. I'd love to meet you (laughs) and hear your story because I think all of us can relate to this paralyzed man. Maybe not because of our physical ailment, but because we all know what it feels like to be broken. And what God does here in this man's life to pronounce forgiveness and healing and to give this man life like he's never had before is something that he does for all of us, whether it's on the outside and the inside or primarily on the inside. Life with Jesus is amazing. It's a life of grace and freedom and joy. It is a life lived in confidence that you are totally known and totally loved. And that is what heals you. And that is what transforms you. Those four men, they didn't bring their friend that day because they were supposed to. They didn't bring their friend that day because they were motivated out of guilt or because they felt obligated in some way. What moved them to bring their friend to Jesus was love, love for their friend, and a love that moved them to faith and act towards Jesus to get their friend in front of him. And so my question for us is, are we convinced? Are we moved by that kind of faith and love? God has that love for you. God has that love for you. And so are you amazed by Jesus So amazed that you get excited about the chance to introduce others to him. Second question is this. How can we bring people before Jesus? Jesus isn't physically here this morning. Uh, He's not gonna be at your house later this week doing some teaching. What does it mean for us to actually do what these four men did? Sometimes I, um, I read these stories and it's helpful for me to imagine myself as a person or a character in the story. I don't know if you've ever done it. It's a really helpful way to work through the story. And sometimes, um, I, I can't help it, I tend to gravitate towards the people who are kind of shed, uh, showed in the best light <laughs> in the story. I don't want to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the, you want to be the good guys in the story. And so in this case, I'd like to think I would have done what these four guys did that I would have been the guy who loved my friend enough to fight through the crowd and get him to Jesus. But I think really carefully about uh, these four men and what it took for them to do what they did. I think about the perseverance it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. I think about the creativity it required, the boldness, the courage, the indifference to what the crowd might say, to the cost to what people in power might think or say. They literally tore the roof off of someone else's house to get this guy to Jesus. If I'm honest, I'm probably more like the crowd most of the time than these four guys. Focused on what I need and what I want from God. And God wants us to come to him with our needs and our wants. But when I look at these four men, there's something that stirs in me that I want to be like these guys. I want to be like this and love others the way that they loved this 
man, with a love that overcomes obstacles, with a love that's bold and creative and unfazed by public opinion, willing to risk humiliation or rejection because I love my friends that don't know Jesus that much. Sometimes I'm tempted, too, to think that if only Jesus were actually physically here, it would be so much easier. (laughs) But I think, in some ways, it actually is easier because Jesus is with us always. He promised us that in Matthew 28. I will be with you to the very end of the age. And so wherever you are, Jesus is with you. You can invite people to know the Jesus who is in you and who is ministering through you. So how can you do that? How can you introduce people to this Jesus that's with you and in you? Let me give you three simple ways, just really quick, practical things, I think, that can help us bring people before Jesus. One is to pray. Pray for your friends to encounter Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for them daily. Pray for them as often as you see them. Pray for them when you think of them. Pray for them when you are with them. Pray, pray, pray for your friends. Silently pray and constantly pray their names before the throne of heaven. Pray for your friends. And when God gives you the opportunity to pray out loud with them and for them, seize it. Be bold. Be loving. Be creative. Pray. Second, hospitality. These four guys had some kind of relationship with this paralyzed man. I don't know what it was. Maybe they just saw him every day as he passed on the street. Maybe they were really close friends, had known him since he was a boy. I don't know what the relationship was. But what we do know is that there was some connection they felt with this man. And just thinking through your relationships, there are people in your life that need Jesus that don't know him or need his healing or his encouragement or his forgiveness. And so I wanna encourage you just to start simple. Start by inviting someone over for dinner. Start by inviting them to catch a movie. Start by inviting them to have a beer or coffee. Invite them to your life group. This past week, we got together for dinner to end our our, um, spring with uh, life group as we moved towards the summer and we just had a celebration and it was great. As we sat around the table, we were talking about people in our lives, family members, neighbors, friends that we want to know Jesus. And one of the things we said was, man, I think for some of them coming on a Sunday morning is just too much. It'd be overwhelming. They're not there yet. But we could invite them to life group. We can invite them to uh, get together and eat a meal with us when we hang out. We can invite them to encounter Jesus just like we encounter Jesus in community and in shared life. And so invite people. Invite people into your life. Friendships are a place where people meet Jesus. Friendships take time. Give them time. It's precious. It's valuable. It's in short supply. The truth is hospitality, friendship, relationships, they require sacrifice, but it takes relationships to bring people before Jesus. There is no shortcut. So pray, hospitality, and then the last one is take risk. Just briefly, I would say, be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, Maybe it's a conversation, again, over coffee with a coworker. Uh, Maybe it's going that next level with the neighbor. Instead of just saying, hey, hope you have a great week as you're taking out the trash, maybe ask them another question. Go beyond the everyday kind of small talk into places with those around you that might create space for you to take risk, risk that invite them to know this Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus to them in some way. Be honest, be vulnerable yourself, and let God use you to lead people 
to the places that he has already led you to Jesus. So pray, hospitality, take risk. Just some of the ways we can help put people, bring people before Jesus. And then finally and quickly, the last question I want us to consider is who in your life needs to encounter Jesus? Who in your life right now needs to encounter Jesus? The crowds gathered around Jesus that day. They knew enough about him to get close to him. But as far as we know, we're not told of anybody else that day that brought anyone with them. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, they were all about making sure the theology was right, (laughs) but they lacked faith in Jesus and love for neighbor. Only the four men who brought the paralyzed man were there for someone besides themselves, it would seem. The danger is that we think our faith is ultimately a private thing about us. And it would be easy to leave today uh, hearing these encouragements and to feel um, pressured or to feel guilty that you're not talking about Jesus with other people or that you're not inviting others before him. To leave today thinking that uh, our faith is um, only about others. But the beauty is, the truth is, that our relationship with God is for us and for others. And so the invitation uh, to life with God is for us and for those around you that don't know Jesus. As we like to say, our goals here are simple, to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. I remember when uh, we first started talking about these goals here at Apostles, I would often hear people say, man, that sounds like a lot of Jesus. <laughs> to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And yes, it is a lot of Jesus because there's something beautiful that happens when we spend time with Jesus. And there's something that happens when we draw near to him and we spend life with him in real places of intimacy that transforms our hearts and changes who we are. And over time, we become more and more like him. And as we do, our hearts become his heart. And the more we're like him in our hearts, the more that we act like him with our hands. And we speak like him with our mouths. And we see like him with our eyes. And we begin to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And what we see here. In the Gospel of Luke, is that Jesus was standing in front of people and teaching. In fact, he had been teaching in the synagogue, we're told here in Capernaum. And he had read words from Isaiah, words that said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 35 says specifically that the lame might walk, not just walk, but run like the deer. Jesus, in other words, came to usher in something new, a new kingdom and a new life, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what it looks like, good news for the poor, freedom for those imprisoned in sin, and healing and deliverance from evil and sickness. And how does the kingdom come? Jesus said it comes through his Holy Spirit in his people, the church. That's you and me. The kingdom comes through us, one person at a time, all over the world. The truth is we all need to be brought before Jesus. And you are surrounded in your life by people that need Jesus. They need his healing. They need his truth and grace. They need his kingdom to come 
in their hearts as it is in heaven. The reality is that you're surrounded by people that need Jesus. And so I want to invite you, just maybe even this morning, I'm going to pause here in just a second, give us just a few minutes of silence, and just ask the Lord to bring names to mind. Maybe even just one name of one person in your life that needs Jesus. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's someone that you hardly know, but you see constantly around in the neighborhood. Just pray for them by name. And if you don't know their name, pray for their face. Pray for them and ask God to give you the opportunity to love them and to bring them before Jesus. So these are the three questions. Are you so amazed by Jesus that you get excited about the chance to introduce others to him? What can we do to bring people before Jesus? And then finally, who in your life needs Jesus? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful and powerful story of a man who was brought before you by four friends to be healed and to be forgiven, to have his life transformed. And Lord, this is our story. However we've come to you, Lord, we have come and been laid before you, Jesus, and we have received forgiveness and healing. And so we thank you. We thank you for the life that we have in you and the love that we know through you. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know that love. Lord, I pray that they would know this Jesus who longs to forgive them and longs to bring healing in their lives, that they might put their faith in him even today. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring to mind one name. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind one name of a friend, a neighbor, a family member. Lord, even now in these moments of silence that we would pray for them, that you might help us be a friend to them that brings them before you, or that they would encounter Jesus. Just encourage you just to pray for that one person. Father, thank you for that person. Thank you that you're already at work in their lives and that you invite us just to come and join what you're doing by loving them, by being a friend to them and sharing Jesus with them. Lord, help us to see those opportunities even this week and to be courageous and creative and to love them as you have loved us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.